0: Where is Dr. John and Tobias? I
1: know, they're kind of standing us up today. Yeah. And tonight.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, they're excused. And in fact, I'd like to excuse everybody. Next week, we're gonna have our holiday break, so we'll take a time out. If you just really have to watch Paget next week, we'll rerun. (laughs)
1: That's <laughs> right. How's I don't that to sound? Watch me. <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, we have kind of a strange noise, don't we? Can mm-hmm. you hear that? It sounds
1: like thunder. It's getting ready for this what storm tomorrow. What is that? Tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> it could be a coded message from space. <laughs> <laughs> but she never want a happy
1: holiday.
0: <laughs> <But>. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty loud up here. Can the guys in the booth hear it?
1: Mm -hmm. Let's see which line
0: it's coming in. We have different mic inputs. Let's turn them down one at a time and see when it goes away. (laughs) (laughs) Just curious. Still hear it. Must be Joseph's. Hey, it's not me. Hello, hello world. Okay, but anyway, we're going to enjoy it.
1: Yeah.
0: Whatever it is. Can you guys all hear it pretty good? Sounds like air?
1: It does. Mm -hmm.
0: It's pretty nice, isn't it? Maybe it's that mic. Is it your mic, Joe? Oh,
1: well.
0: We'll be all right, won't Mm -hmm. we? Okay. We're all by ourselves tonight. Okay? (laughs) At any rate, it's just, it's new. And I didn't think we were supposed to get anything new till next year. <laughs> it's just really confusion. Okay, well we've got some exciting things to talk about, but okay. before we get started, I think it's time to do our last magic trick of the year.
1: Yeah?
0: Are you ready? No. Okay. <laughs> These are magic cards. The reason that they're magic is because there's 52 of them.
1: That makes it magic.
0: Oh yeah, a magic it's a magic number. number. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to. Uh, you're not supposed to see. I'm going to show them these cards. You can see, it's lots of different cards. They're all different. Right? Mm-hmm. And what I want you to do, if you would please, are we all right?
1: you want to get closer to me. Blaming my no, no. mic. <laughs>
0: My mic is flawless. It's got to be hers. Okay.
1: It's my energy.
0: All right, it's your energy. Here we go. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just spread these out like this. Can you see that? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: There they are. See, they're just all spread out. Now what I want you to do is to take your finger and put it on top of one of those cards and just hold it. This is going to be supposed to hold it from around the other way. This is the magician side. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Very, very good. All right, are you sure you want that one?
1: Uh-huh.
0: Okay, she's chosen that card. I'm gonna pull this these off, which means she almost chose this card, which happens to be the Ten of Diamonds. Can you see that? But she didn't. You did not choose the Ten of Diamonds. I'd like you now to think of a card. Have you thought of one?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, tell us what your card is
1: the 5
0: of hearts. The 5 of hearts. Now slide that card out and let's see what you got. And her card is turned over, show us.
1: It's the 5 of hearts.
0: <laughs> oh, wow, that's oh, spooky. Wow.
1: <laughs> did you know I was going to choose that?
0: No, I no. didn't, but the card obviously did because you chose it. Now this is, is something I want to just show the students how to do. This is where you apply science to trickery, okay? You see this card here. Now remember, we looked at all of these. See, can you, I'll put them here so you can see them all. Mm -hmm. Lots of them, there's a king, a 10. Now watch this, when we put this five on here, like that. Mm -hmm. Now what have we got? Now watch. Do you know why I knew she was gonna choose The five of hearts. (laughs)
1: Like you hypnotize the whole day.
0: The only one that's not the five is this one right underneath there. And if we put it down, then lo and behold, there aren't any fives, right? That's
1: pretty good. That's
0: pretty good for for twenty twenty-two.
1: But just wait until twenty
0: Did you hear that there's some big news in science? Yeah, Lawrence Livermore Laboratory in California has had a major breakthrough in nuclear fusion. And we've talked about fusion a lot. Everybody here knows what fusion is, right? It's a type of food. (laughs) No, but it's it's really quite an exciting thing. And one of the students sent in a request for me asking if I would talk about it. And of course, Dr. John did a wonderful job of telling us about it last week, and, Mm -hmm. and thank you, John. Because I learned a lot. <laughs> but now I'd like to talk a little bit more about it. But before I do, you know, there on your screen, if you're watching as, a, as an Acela student, there's a place that you sign in. And after you sign in, you are able to send messages throughout our discussion. Those of you that are live and those of you that are alive but tune in late, they're still alive, okay. Uh, I want you to know that we are paying particular uh, attention to your messages, and that's one of the reasons why I want to talk about this tonight is because some people are asking. Uh, We've received a lot of wonderful suggestions this year on how to improve Acellus, Mm -hmm. and we're getting very close to the launch of Acellus Plus, the next generation for next school year. If you have any ideas of things that you like or things that you think we could improve, that's a place to let me know, okay? So if you'll type in a serious message, we'll take a look at it and see what we can do, either discussing it during our our podcast or even implementing it into a solace, okay? Okay. So um, I want to talk about fusion and I'd like to talk about it in, in kind of a special science live way. Uh, John gave us a wonderful overview, but I, I think there's some things we can talk about a little bit more. Some people are calling this one of the biggest breakthroughs of, of this year and maybe of recent years, and I think it's important for us to understand why that is. Uh, if it wasn't for hydrogen, and a process called fusion, there would be no food on planet Earth. All of our food comes from the sun, and all of the energy of the sun comes from nuclear fusion. And so we ought to talk about it for just a minute. We ought to all understand it, and then I'd like to get into the specifics of this breakthrough. Fusion comes when you take two hydrogen atoms, and slam them together to form a helium atom. And where does the energy come from? Well, when you combine two hydrogen atoms, and there are special isotopes of hydrogen, which means they also have neutrons, which we don't need to go into today. But when you bring them together and it becomes helium, and you weigh them on an atomic scale, the helium weighs less than the two hydrogens did. And the matter that goes away or disappears is converted into a tremendous amount of energy, and that's where that's where the energy comes from. Actually, we're turning matter, in this case, matter being part of the hydrogen atoms, into energy, and in a tremendous amount. The nice thing is this heavy hydrogen that we use to do fusion exists in our oceans in tremendous quantities, enough to power the whole planet for a long, long time. And when you get power from fusion, from hydrogen fusion, <laughs> there's no carbon, no carbon emissions, there's no radioactivity, it's kind of like a perfect source. And so why didn't we do it a long time ago? Well, we did. We, we've been actually doing fusion reactions on the Earth, um, since I was in high school which was more <laughs> than a couple years ago and yet the only way that we could do fusion was in a big explosion like an atomic bomb or be more specific a hydrogen bomb because the reaction is so hot that it melts anything and it has to be hot to be able to ignite fusion so we want to We want to kind of talk about this and get down to the specifics. And that brings up a question that came in on the comments, and it's a good question. Remember, we were talking about atoms, and we talked about how atoms go into a crystal structure, all nice and pretty, but that the atom is mainly just space. There's a little electron going around, but inside it's a tiny, tiny, tiny core or or proton or nucleus. Most of it's just space. And so they said if matter is atoms that are mainly just space, well then why can you fill it? When you push against it, you can fill something. If there's just all these little speckles that are so small, why don't your fingers just push through like that? hmm? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, is quite simple. Have any of you ever experienced experimented with magnets. If you haven't, you need to. But of course, you take two mags, they pull together, but you turn one around so that you're pushing the north pole of the magnet against the north pole, and closer they get, they resist being pushed together. And if you touch them together, they pop apart, right? What is that? You can feel it, it's a real force. What is it? Well, opposite poles repel. That's a magnetic force. And if you think about it, here come these atoms that have electrons going around, which is negative, and another atom has electrons going around, which are negative. So the atom, atoms repel each other. So of course we feel the repulsion. And if you didn't, you probably would just go <laughs> And then what a strange world it would be, oh, wouldn't would be it? Strange. Okay, so let's get back to fusion. So in fusion, <clears throat> The problem is making a container. When the space shuttle came barreling out of space and and we wanted to get it back safely, as it was coming through the outer layers of the atmosphere, traveling so fast, it got so hot that they had to make special heat plates to be able to protect it from burning up. And they were very hard to make because it is so hot. That hot of the space shuttle, that these special heat shields protected, is nothing compared to what you need for a fusion reaction. It turns out that when you take these two hydrogen atoms that you want to combine together to make helium, that they oppose each other. They oppose each other because they have outer electrons pushing them apart, and so they don't want to get very close. If you can get them close enough, then the strong force pulls the the two nucleuses together and you get helium. But getting them close enough to do that is the challenge. And if you want to do it just with the vibrations of molecules, which are what we call heat, then you need a hundred, excuse me, a million degrees Or if you're gonna do it at low pressure like we we would do in a reactor, we're talking about 100 million degrees. That's that's hot, that's the temperatures beyond the surface of the sun. And so there is no substance that we've discovered on Earth that comes anywhere near withstanding a million degrees. And this has gotta be 100 million degrees. And that's been the challenge. We can't make a reactor to hold it. And lo and behold, the sun figured it out a long time ago. The sun and all the stars are powered by hydrogen. You're gonna say, you're just saying that because you like hydrogen. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's true, but it's true. (laughs) The only thing that I know how to to fuse, and say if you know how, I should build a reactor. Okay, the, the fusion of the stars is from hydrogen fusing together now there are some other reactions the stars do I won't get into but but it's all powered by hydrogen fusing together and the Sun does it by being very large the the Sun is much larger than the earth and so there's a very very strong gravity you know we, we talked about if Pejé would go to a scale and just stand still for a minute, we can see what she weighs. Yeah, we talked
1: about that.
0: Which would be a very interesting experiment. And if any of you have any good ideas on how to convince her <laughs> to do it. But if she goes to Mars and gets mm-hmm. on a scale, she won't weigh as much. And if she goes to the moon, she'll be much lighter yet. Why? Because she lost weight on the trip. Mm-hmm. No, because the moon is smaller, so it has a weaker gravity. And so it doesn't pull her down so hard on the scale. But when she goes to Jupiter, oh my. (laughs) Jupiter's big, and she'll she'll just smash the scale. Yeah, smash it, yeah. So how hard gravity pulls depends on how much mass there is. And the sun has much more mass than Jupiter. And so it's pulling in very hard on all of those hydrogen atoms, and that pulls them very tight together, and that's how it's able to do fusion. So all we have to do is make a real strong gravity like the sun, and we could just do fusion anywhere we want. Of course, we don't know any way to make strong gravity like that, except to get a lot of matter, which there's not enough matter here on Earth to do that with, is there? So, some scientists, have been trying to build a fusion reactor that involves a bottle made out of a magnetic field. And the most popular magnetic field is a toroid, or really, you know, the more scientific name is donut. It's shaped like a donut. They make a bottle with windings and magnets so that it's shaped like a donut, and inside there they put the gas they want to react, and then they turn on these very strong magnets and it pinches it down, and they're able to get it to begin to fuse, but they haven't been able to make it fuse long enough to really get the fuel going. Uh, One of the problems with these toroids is that they're not topologically stable, and what that means is as it starts pinching down more and more pressure, Has a place where it comes squirting out and they lose the pressure. Mm -hmm. And so they changed the donut into if you cross, if you cut the donut and look at one end, you know, it's round. Well, they've changed it to a thing that looks kind of like a kidney bean. It's a funny shaped donut. And they're still working on that. It's called the tokamak. But the breakthrough didn't come from the guys that are doing the tokamaks. By the way, the magnetic confinement fusion researchers all over the world <laughs> have spent almost all of the fusion research money. And the guys that had the breakthrough haven't had very much money. Hmm. But they did have a breakthrough. It's kind of exciting. <laughs> I think though their breakthrough is, is good news for all of the researchers going on. We have been saying for about the last 60 years that a commercial fusion source of energy is about 40 years away, about four decades. And every 10 years we say, well, now it's just about 40 years away, (laughs) 40 years away, 40 years away, 40 years away. It just keeps extending. Uh, Some people are saying that with this breakthrough, with some of the breakthroughs they're having with magnetic confinement, that maybe we're clear down to 20 years or 10 years. Um, most scientists are still leaning a little more towards 30, or we, we need some breakthroughs. But here's an interesting thing. The science is proven. The science says you can take heliums and under certain conditions, and science can tell you what the conditions are, you can get the, the hydrogen atoms to fuse together into helium and you get off a tremendous amount of energy. That's the science. Now we're missing the engineering, or what I like call the imaginary, because we've got to figure out some amazing ways to get this to work. And um, fusion is sure going to change our world. It, it really, will make it so easy to make hydrogen to run our cars and our homes and everything else, and global warming will not be a problem. So we really need to do this, okay? So in the experiment that had the breakthrough uh, about 12 days ago, they actually were not making a magnetic bottle to squeeze the, the plasma or the gas they're trying to react. They did it by creating a very small target And shooting laser beams at it. Now let's think about that for a minute. You're gonna shoot lasers at it? Yeah. If you shoot a laser at a target it'll heat it up. In fact we have a brand new machine we're installing which is going to make uh, stem pods and this machine is a laser that cuts out steel and aluminum and stainless so that we can make our pods. So laser beams can be very hot. But in the case of this experiment, they didn't shoot a laser beam at this little teeny pellet. And by the way, it's about the size of a BB from a BB gun. Okay, it's a little tiny pellet, but they didn't shoot a laser at it. They shot 192 lasers at it all at once. And the idea is to heat it up with so much heat so fast, that it explodes inward, it implodes, and it gets so much pressure and it gets so hot that it ignites the fusion reaction. And before it goes flying apart, the fuel reacts and it creates more energy. Well, the big breakthrough was for the first time in a controlled fusion reactor, Not, not a bomb, not hydrogen bomb or the sun, but laboratory experiment they were able to put less energy in from the lasers than they got out of the reaction. And we've been able to put a lot of energy and get a teeny bit of reaction. This is the first time that we were able to put in enough energy to actually see an increase. And the, and the increase was significant. It was like 50% more energy came out than we put in. And so that's, that's a big deal but I have to be careful and say that we put in as energy from the lasers. Now, if you go back a step and say, well, how much energy do you have to put in the lasers? Well, then we put in 100 times more energy than we got out. (laughs) So this isn't ready to put in your car as Mr. Fusion yet, but it is a major breakthrough, a major milestone. We've been trying to do this for a long time years and years and decades ago when I was at university and I learned about fusion they were telling us that the goal was to be able to get more energy out than you put into a reaction what well, they did now they have got to figure out better ways to get that energy in and get it ignited but it's coming. and if you think ah, I don't think it's good science I don't think it'll ever work look at the Sun
1: exactly.
0: it does work thank goodness okay so I want to talk about a little bit more so you've got to have 192 lasers hit this little fuel charge all at the same time. And we're not talking tenths of a cent of a second, or hundredths, or, or thousandths of a second. We're down into millions and billions of a second. And when you shoot a laser beam, you say, turn it on, it takes a certain amount of time for it to get started, enough that we can't get all the lasers to fire at the same time. I mean, almost the same time, but that doesn't count. If you want it to implode, they've got to all hit it at exactly the same time. So scientists figured out a way to solve that problem by shooting one laser at it. And you say, well, wait a minute. I thought it had to be 192. It does. But what they did is they shot one laser, and then they ran it through prisms and divided out the light beam. And then they amplified all 192 beams and they all hit at the same time because they were all the same laser beam starting and that's some pretty amazing technology. Now I want to I want to talk a little bit about lasers because lasers are really neat aren't they? Mm -hmm. And in comes Mr. Tesla. You remember the Tesla coil we have worked with this Tesla coil before, and I think we've got a chance here to turn this thing on.
1: Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that sound effect. Guess what? What?
0: This Tesla coil has the wrong power cable.
1: <laughs> Who are your helpers?
0: I'm sure glad we don't do this live. <laughs> <laughs> No. Do you remember? (laughs) Please refer to the past episode where we showed you the Tesla oil and the little tube. And remember in the tube we have some mercury vapor, and when we put it near the high voltage, it glows. Use your imaginations.
1: This is better than live. We'll now cut to a commercial.
0: (laughs) Oh, boy, that's not good. Hmm. Okay, well. We've got great imagination. Some of you are even imagining this to be brighter than you can imagine. But
1: it was kind of perfect. I'm not gonna it? give up.
0: <laughs> if I can't show it that way, I will show it like this.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: This is a real laser, and inside there is a real laser beam. And here's a red button. And I've got this off so you can't peek in the end. I'm gonna turn this on. Look right in here at this laser when I turn on the power. Can you see that orange glow? Uh-huh. Should look like it's kind of flickering because it is. That is a laser. And if I were to open this shutter on my hand, uh, if I come over enough so you could see it, can you mm-hmm. see that little laser beam cutting me? Oh, burning me, burning me, but I'm bionic, is it really? So I can't even fill it. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. So this is a laser beam. So now let's talk about what's happening here. In this laser beam, there is a gas, which is a mixture of helium and neon. And you remember we talked about atoms, gas atoms like helium, having electrons in their outer shells, and if you somehow can excite those electrons, they start moving faster and they go out into an outer shell, or they pick up more energy and they go up. When that happens, Nothing happens. There's no light, they just go up. But after they're up for a little while, they decide, you know, I like my normal state, and so they they fall back down to their normal state. But when they do, they have to get rid of some energy, and so they give off a photon of light. A photon photon, (laughs) is the smallest measurement of light there is, and so it sends out a photon of light. For a particular gas, the photon of light that comes out is always exactly the same color, which means it's the same frequency because depending on the gas, it has levels that it goes up to and levels that it comes down to, which are precise amounts. And that's what makes a laser possible because inside of that gas, We excite it, in this particular case, we're exciting this tube with this electronic circuit. This electronic circuit creates a high voltage, and the high voltage applies to these electrodes here, and they cause the gas to get excited. It gets ionized, it glows. A neon sign does the same thing. It glows orange when you put a 30,000 volts across it from a, a transformer. That's like a Tesla coil, it's just a transformer that gives you a high voltage. But in a laser, it's a little bit different because when you excite a neon atom, you put power into the atom, it spins up to an outer orbital and then it falls right back down and you get out the light and that's a neon sign. That won't give you a laser. To be able to have a laser, you've gotta get the atoms to stay excited a little while. And, you know a little whiles like you know a thousandth of a second, a little while. And if you're going to get them to stay excited, you've got to have some kind of a trick. And the trick that we use is by adding neon or helium. So you put a little bit of helium in with the neon, and that helps the atoms stay in this high energy state a little bit longer. Now there's a, a phenomena that occurs that uh, I've read a lot of different uh, explanations of why this happens. So far, I haven't found one that satisfies me yet. I'm not sure I'm convinced that we know why it happens. Maybe you'll figure it out. I did. You figured it out? Mm-hmm. What'd you figure out?
1: You put my initial on there, and yep. I'm all excited. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's says P right there. Did you know that?
0: Please tune in next time.
1: <laughs> it really is right there on the end. This is P looking right at me.
0: <laughs> Could you please turn off her mic?
1: <laughs> well, that was my hypothesis. So no. we
0: should... <laughs> well, I haven't told you what we're hypothesizing yet. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, but we'll, but I think you've got the right answer. That's the best answer I've heard so far. Mm-hmm. Here here's the thing that's confusing to me. If you have a gas with lots and lots and lots, billions of atoms, and you use some kind of of method of exciting, like a high voltage, and the electrons move to the outer shell, and you get a lot of them excited, and, and scientists call that a population inversion, that means there's more that are excited than not, then if a light beam of exactly the right color goes by an excited atom, the atom, for some reason, is triggered to fall down right then to its normal energy and to send its photon out with the one that's going by in the same direction, the same color, and in coherence, perfectly in in step with the wave. The reason we can cut metal with a laser is because all of the light is exactly the same color, which means it can be focused on a lens perfectly, and it's coherent. It means all of the light is in phase, it's in step, and that's what gives it so much power to be able to burn a hole through metal. Well, in order for that to be able to take place, you've got to have all these atoms giving their photons off right together, going in exactly the same direction. And so if inside of a tube, and we can imagine this as a tube because it is. It's not helium and neon in here, but it is a gas, and if it were ionized, then if we shot a beam of light through it that is exactly the right color, the atoms that are excited would start decaying and giving off their beam, and the beam would get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger as it goes through here. Now, in this particular laser, that's what happens But at both ends of the laser, there are mirrors. And there are mirrors to send the light back and forth through the laser. And as it goes back and forth, the beam gets bigger and bigger. All of the light you see coming out the side, like when I light this up and it's orange, all of that light is wasted. It's coming out the side. It's not part of the beam. But as you get more and more going back and forth between the mirrors, pretty soon, most of the light is building up and eventually gets strong enough to shoot through the dielectric coating on the mirror. Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So my question is, why when an atom is excited, which means its electrons are going faster around it in in an excited state, why does it decide to give off a photon of energy and jump down when it sees an electron, uh, a photon go by? And I think it does have something to do with (laughs) Paget.
1: That's a P right there. You didn't
0: know that, did you? Yeah, no, I was, science all new to me, okay? So I won't, uh, I won't be able to tell you exactly why it does that yet. and Maybe some of you will find out and tell me, but I will tell you that it does it. That's and because neat. of that, you can do some neat things. Now, I learned about this when I was in high school. I was in the 11th grade. And I was so excited about lasers because I just knew they were gonna completely change the world. And I read about them, read about them, read about them, because they had not been invented very long back then. And then I got an idea. You see, they're using lasers to send data over a fiber, fiber optic cable. And you had to encode the light So it would blink at just the right amounts to be ones and zeros like we talked about last time. And after it went so far, like miles, through this fiber, the light got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and finally you got the point where it was barely dim enough to read, so they'd have to decode it, turn it back into electricity, make a new laser, modulate it, and send it out again. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat if someone could invent a tube and you just run the light in, and as it went through the tube it would get amplified and be brighter coming out the other side and ready to go another 10 miles. And I thought, I think you could do that. You could make a tube just like this, only maybe longer, with helium and neon, and you could excite it somehow, like with high voltage or, some, you know, some lasers, like the Ruby lasers, are excited by putting very bright strobe lights like the flash on the camera. So there's different ways to excite these atoms. But I thought if if you had a tube full of this gas all excited and you shot in this weak light beam from the fiber, as it went through, it would get brighter and brighter and brighter and come out the other side. And I thought, you know what, that's a neat idea. So I decided that could be my science fair project. Sounds like a good science fair project for a high school student, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> Did you do it? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: we'll talk about it. But okay. I want to get a little bit of foundation. Now, I brought a game. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is called Dominoes. You know how it works. Mm-hmm. OK. So I thought, you know, these Dominoes could be like, they could represent hydrogen atoms, mm-hmm. okay? When a domino is laying down flat, it can't go any further down, so we'll say that's the low state of energy. Okay. If we tilt it up on edge though, then it has the ability to fall over, so we could say that it has potential energy when it's up, so this would be like an excited hydrogen atom. Okay. And. I wanted to communicate the concept of population inversion, okay? So if you have a bunch of dominoes set out here and they're all laying down and a light beam went by, it wouldn't do anything because they're already down. They can't give off their light, their energy, because they don't have extra energy. Mm -hmm. But if you were to stand them all up, let me just stand these up, but you know if you were to stand these all up, well then, you could see that when the light—well, let me show you a video. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'd like to take you over to my office for just a minute. Okay. Here we go. Let's go. <laughs> so let's think about these dominoes as hydrogen atoms. Look at that okay? nice office. When they're in this kind of a state here, it's like the electrons are all going around their normal orbitals, and they don't have any supercharged power energy now if we take these and stand them up on the edge then they have energy stored and they have the ability to fall over but they're stable in that position for a minute if i take one and trip it it doesn't make any of the others fall over because they've already fallen over and in fact if i put one over here oops if i can get it to stand up and i put one over here and let's even put one here, okay, now there's three that are all in their excited states and I'm going to trip this one off and nothing happened. Now what if I pump a lot of energy in here and get this into what we call a population inversion, then what would happen? Okay, so I hope you're following this so far. Uh-huh. That's a nice office. It is okay. <laughs> That's where I work. <laughs> Sometimes. I know
1: that. <laughs> Other
0: times I work in Area 51.
1: It's I know that too. Next yeah.
0: door. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you about that. Okay. Yeah. Secrets. But anyway, so if you had all these dominoes standing up, you know what would happen. If you push just one, it would make the others all trip. Mm-hmm. And that would be exactly what happens in a chain reaction. That's what we call a chain reaction. But you have to have enough up so they all hit another one. And in order to do that, you have to put quite a bit of energy in the tube to get them all excited. And that's why we have the helium in there, so they will stay excited a little bit longer so we can do it. I wanna show you what happens when we have them all standing up. Okay. okay, now we've got all of these atoms in their excited state, which means they're standing up and they have potential energy with just a little bit of a nudge they can fall over. If I push just one, since so many are up, let's see if we can get a chain reaction. Nope. Let's try one more. And there we go. Okay, that took two takes too. <laughs> it's one of those kind of days. You know. it is, we're, like we're really struggling up here. Is it, is it time to be done yet? <laughs> Okay, so anyway, but you get the idea. You have to get these things all excited. Now, let's just imagine that you're in high school and you wanna build a laser amplifier. And your idea is that if you can get a tube and put helium neon gas in it and then excite it somehow and then put a weak beam in, it will get bigger as it goes through. And if that beam is carrying information, if it's modulated, that it will get amplified and still be modulated. That was my theory. And so now I'd like to show you my high school experiment and please notice the young man in the picture. (laughs) (laughs) There he is, yeah, that's him. So can you see even wearing a tie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there is my laser amplifier. Now, those of you that are observant, look back behind the laser amplifier is my ham radio transmitter. Mm. Yeah, K7PRJ, that was me. And, uh, or actually, that was my best friend whose license I used to share until I got (laughs) mine. Mine was uh, W7DOO, let's get this straight. (laughs) At any rate, if you look again at this experiment, that ham radio transmitter has a big black cable come around behind and it hooks power up to the laser. So I'm sending a radio signal into this tube that has a helium neon in. I want to show you the the ham radio connections to the tube. And I circled these in red so you can see them. There they are.
1: There we are. Red that looks a lot red like and me. Red. Ham
0: ham radio <laughs> Hmm. Not there. That's 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 not encouraging. So that's three tonight. (laughs) So um, four would be like a normal experiment, (laughs) wouldn't (laughs) it? Four four disasters. Well, can we at least show the Brewster windows? Do we have the Brewster window in there? Yes. Yes. Wait for it. Wait. No, I guess we don't. Hmm. Four. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I liked it better when Johnny and Tobias were here, we had more time to get it ready. Okay, well then I'm going to do the impossible and impossible. go back to the picture of the laser and I'm going to make you see this through the power of English words.
1: Okay.
0: There you go. Okay, you see that tube there? Can you see there's tinfoil wrapped around it? Can we zoom in a little bit tighter on it, please, mm-hmm. or is that as far as we no, go? Oh, we're getting closer, we're getting closer, more, more, more. Okay, so there's a glass tube in there that has the helium neon in, and on both ends are quartz windows that I literally epoxied on the end of the tube. The quartz windows are because I wanted all the light to go through and regular glass doesn't work so well. And if you look again at that close-up shot, can you see the little window on, on one end of the tube and there's another one on the other end? They're at an angle... That angle is called Brewster's angle because you calculate it with a formula for the color of light you're, you're using. If you get it at exactly the right angle for the color of light, almost all the light goes straight through and hardly anything reflects. How
1: neat.
0: Isn't that magical? Mm-hmm. And it you is. can only do that because your light is only one wavelength, only one frequency. At any rate, so then, When a light beam would come in one end of that tube through one Brewster window, it would go through, and I, with my transmitter, I got it to glow orange, and it it got a population inversion, turned it up all the way, and then the beam would get stronger as it went through and come out the other side. And interestingly, that laser amplifier idea is what the brilliant scientists in California did to make the fusion experiment. They had to have the signal perfectly synchronized so it came from all 192 directions at a time, and they did it by firing just one laser, and then they split that laser through a whole slug of prisms to be able to get the 192 beams, which were all timed perfectly together, and they went through these big, long laser amplifiers, which amplified the beam, and then they all came and hit the signal together. Now the, I told you that the actual signal was about the size of a BB and it had this deuterium and tritium which are isotopes of hydrogen coated with plastic and the outer edge of that sample inside the plastic was frozen because they had it cooled to very low cryogenic temperature. In the middle it was gaseous And the laser beams didn't actually hit the pellet. They used to in some of the earlier experiments, but they never quite achieved the result. But something they did magical here is they put a little tiny cylinder in the target area and the laser beams came in the bottom and the top of this open cylinder and hit the wall of the cylinder. And the lasers were actually, uh, ultraviolet and they came and hit the walls and as it reflected back it created x-rays and so the energy that went into the pellet made it implode actually high intensity x-rays and the engineering of that little cylinder is really neat now I have a clip oh wouldn't it be <laughs> sad if I don't have a clip I have a little clip from Lawrence Livermore where the guy actually shows you this cute little cylinder that they use for the target and tells us about it.
1: So let's recap. A team at Lawrence Livermore National Lab National Ignition Facility made the following happen. There's a tiny cylinder here at the end of this that you probably can't see. It's about so tall and this wide. Inside that was a a small spherical capsule about half the diameter of a BB. 192 laser beams entered from the two ends of the cylinder and struck the inner wall. They didn't strike the capsule, they struck the inner wall of this cylinder and deposited energy. And that happened in less time than it takes light to move 10 feet. So it's kind of fast. X-rays from the wall impinged on the spherical capsule. Fusion fuel in the capsule got squeezed. Fusion reactions started. This had all happened before, a 100 times before, but last week for the first time they designed this experiment so that the fusion fuel stayed hot enough, dense enough, and round enough for long enough that it ignited and it produced more energies than the lasers had deposited. About 2 megajoules in, about 3 megajoules out, a gain of
0: 1.5. So there you have it. That's the official thing. now. I have a, a point that I'd like to make tonight with my five, no, only four uh, <coughs> malfunctions.
1: You're a perfect example of how to keep Oh, in 2023,
0: <laughs> I will be perfect.
1: <laughs> no, no more malfunctions, okay?
0: But hmm. I really had a lot of fun learning how to build this laser amplifier. I had an idea. When I read about lasers and how you have to excite these electrons on every atom out into their, their big orbitals, it's like, remember the, the little ball on the rubber band and you spin it? Mm. The faster it goes, the farther out it goes, like that. Except when you slow down and it comes back, it gives off its energy as these little light photons. And when I heard how that worked, how lasers worked, and I thought, man, you could make an amplifier that would do that. Can you imagine how fun it was for me when I found out that this experiment had these great big long laser amplifiers?
1: <laughs> They're a
0: lot fancier than the one I made in high school, <laughs> but I kind of really appreciated them. And when I was trying to make my laser amplifier, you know, I tell you about some of those elements, like I have quartz windows. Mm-hmm. Well, at first, I just had windows that were just slides from a microscope. They didn't work. So then I got quartz windows and just put them on. I, I cut the glass off with a glass saw and just put them on and there's too much reflected light. So then I had to go learn about this guy named Brewster that found out there's a magic angle and if you have one frequency or one color of light and you hit at the right angle, almost all the light goes straight through the glass. So I had to calculate Brewster's angle for my frequency, and I had to go look up what the frequency was. And the internet was, was down.
1: No good.
0: <laughs> it, was, it was hard. It's, it's so really I got the frequency, and then I got this, this cutter that and I had to get exactly the right angle and I cut them off. and then I didn't want to get the glue inside because I thought it would contaminate the uh, gases. In fact, I had a thing called a getter, a barium getter. Getter? Getter. G-E-T-T-R. Like, not get him, get her. (laughs) A getter. And the getter was a thing that would react with any impurities inside there to keep it clean. So I had a barium getter in there too and everything perfect and I didn't want to put glue in. So I actually put the windows on and then I hooked it up to a vacuum pump and the vacuum held the windows on tight, and then I put the epoxy around the outside, and I got a gooey kind, so it wouldn't go inside and contaminate the gas. You're smart, guys. you're
1: really smart.
0: I would be smart if I hadn't told you about the four times that fell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, yeah. that's just honesty. <laughs> but
0: the point is, I was determined, I had an idea, and I wanted to see if it would work, and I kept failing because I didn't know how to make a good enough experiment. And that's exactly what these guys at Lawrence Livermore, who Mm -hmm. some of the most brilliant scientists in the world, they're struggling to get their experiment to work. And they finally got it to work at least at the first level. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really exciting. And the only thing that could be more exciting is if it was your experiment. (laughs) An experiment that just works obviously wasn't a very hard experiment. Just think about that. If you really want to appreciate something, Edison had to do over 1,000 materials before he found out that no material works. Mm -hmm. Remember, he tried bamboo. He tried all these different things for his light bulb, and everything burned up, burned up, burned up. And then he said, you know what? Maybe what I need to do is get rid of the oxygen. So he put a glass bulb over it, made a vacuum, so there was no oxygen, and then it worked. And quite often, that's what has to happen. I think that's what's gotta happen with fusion. One of you inventioners has gotta figure this thing out. And if I can make a laser amplifier in high school, <laughs> then just think what you can do, now that the internet's up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's, yeah. it's pretty, that's a lot easier. And by the way, up, for those
0: right? of you that are really wondering, there is no P on there here. There is, I don't know right why. there.
1: No, there's not, no, there's no. Look. Look, right there, that little, you can't see it for real, look at that. I love your
0: imagination.
1: (laughs) I can see it right here.
0: Oh, I think I see it. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's there. I think it's right there, okay.
1: I'm gonna take a picture of it for next year.
0: Rule number three, Paige is always right. (laughs) She's the chairman. Chairperson.
1: I am the chairperson. Yes. Anyway. Um, and we have a question.
0: Oh, we got one.
1: Good. Yes. It has nothing to do with this right now. Okay. <laughs> so the students want to know. No more P. <laughs> they can probably see it now. Mm. <laughs> um, Cellus Plus is coming out next year, right? Yes. Absolutely. So if they are already enrolled in Cellus, do they have to re-enroll? yes
0: why not <laughs> <laughs> they should enroll and enroll and enroll until they get it right no, no. in fact the <laughs> Celis Academy and our home school kids are gonna be the first ones to get to try this uh, I, I'm not saying that they're like guinea pigs or anything like that oh, but <laughs> they get to kind of try it out first and, and help perfect it but it, you'll just notice these real neat features coming on and right now it's targeted to happen sometime in August Okay, so we're adding features almost every day. Mm -hmm. But these are some really amazing big features that you're really gonna like. And we're also filming a lot of courses. Um, I wanna say though, that we also have a lot of opportunities right now for moderators. I know some of the parents are kinda keeping an eye on Paige to make sure she doesn't say things that she shouldn't, that are not social. So parents, (laughs) just a word. We're looking for moderators, people to help us with the Acellus. It's growing, growing, growing. Uh, Some of you have heard that we now have a goal of 10 million students by 2025, and it's coming. So if any of you are interested in doing a little bit to help us from wherever you live, please go to science.edu slash jobs, is that right? Jobs. And uh, send us in a, an application telling us a little bit about you. And if you want to know about this moderator position, then just put that the position you're interested in as moderator. We're so grateful for your help. Um, this is a, a work of love, and there is a lot of need. There was a lot of need before COVID. Now a lot of students all over the country are, are farther behind than ever before. I'm I'm very pleased to say that our CELUS uh, online students are doing real well. And uh, many of you are well above grade level, and that makes me really happy. But there's a lot that aren't, and we want to help them. So if you think that you have something that you would be willing to contribute, please reach out to us. Uh, We do have the graduation uh, ceremony coming up in May, May of 2023. we, how many graduates do we have planning to be at that ceremony at this point? So we'll have about 50 students that'll be graduating at that ceremony. We have 300 guests that have uh, signed up to also attend. We're going to be broadcasting that graduation ceremony live. So um, those of you that aren't able to get. We're accommodating all the students and two guests, but some we may not be able to accommodate all the guests. But we really are excited that so many are graduating, graduating with honors, going on to universities. Uh, the universities seem to really appreciate the students that are graduating with honors. And those of you in the Cellus Academy, if you look at the requirements of an honors graduation, there's more rigorous courses and more more courses but it really does if, if you're college bound and you're going to be looking for scholarships it seems to really help inspire the colleges to take a look at you if you you do the honors program so study hard and uh, I'll try to cover those four things for next time and and after we sign off I will find the P
1: that little plastic
0: It it must be right there somewhere.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there it is.
0: (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) Bye.